Hey everybody, I just wanted to let you know about our new page on Patreon.com. If you enjoy the podcast and if you enjoyed it through the years, please consider heading over to Patreon.com slash 1000RP and becoming a patron of our podcast. This will enable us to upkeep our equipment, uh, help with costs on hosting, and also help us purchase the music that we play on the show. So if you have enjoyed the podcast, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash 1000RP and becoming a patron of the 1000 Recordings Podcast. Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to 1000 Recordings Podcast, episode 52. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me every week, as always... Is DJ Mitchell Davis? Yeah, yeah, I'll pick that up. I am a DJ, and what I play. <laughs> How's it going, man? It's going good, man. How's it going with you? Good, busy, winding down summer. Glad it's not as hot as it usually is here. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, doing good, man. Uh, how, how are things going with you? Ah, uh, they're going good. Going good, man. I'm just looking forward to. Uh, Talking about some music again. Um, True. Yep. Uh, this week we've got three new albums for you from Tom Moon's book, 1000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die. The first one is Karen Dalton, It's Hard to Tell Who's Going to Love You the Best. Then we're going to have D'Angelo, Brown Sugar, and Danger Mouse, The Gray Album. So three totally different albums here. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's start with uh, Karen Dalton. Um, this is an artist that, uh, again, another one of these artists from the book that I had never heard of, ever. Um, had you ever heard of Karen Dalton? No. Yeah. So this is one of those artists. I think that um, people that were really in the folk world in the '60s and are maybe folk aficionados of that genre probably know who she is right but um she's not really well known outside of i think that circle yeah um, i guess according to the book she was one of those artists that she she had an unusual voice first of all and um and an, and an interesting you know you know deal with i guess her circle where there was you know other folk artists that were you know, much more well-known, obviously, you know, you know, Bob Dylan was in that circle, but she did not apparently write a lot of her own music, you know, and that might've been one of the things that was sort of like a, a thing that held her back. Um, you know, she, she performed, but, you know, was not really, I guess, a songwriter. So, 
Right, um, right. Right. I mean, and, and that's, I guess, a big thing in folk music yeah. is that, you, you know, <laughs> yeah, you write your own music for the most part. Um, she was, uh, came up in New York City in the 60s, uh, like early 60s folk scene that was going on in Greenwich Village um, alongside other people who really made it big, like Bob Dylan, um, who she performed with a few times. And, uh, you know, I read in the book and then in my other research that people compared her voice to Billie Holiday. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess after I read that comparison, I was like, okay, I can kind of see what they're talking about. When I first heard it, I, I never, I don't know that that really didn't come into my mind. Uh, but I can kind of see where they're coming from with all that. That the, the, I guess the difference here is that I could listen to Billie Holiday all day. I could not listen to Karen all day. Uh, uh, and that's just my own personal feeling, of course. Yeah, but um, she has one of those voices, you know, like uh, I guess like Kate Bush and other singers where you either kind of love it or hate it. But Yeah, I agree. I, I think in the Billie Holiday comparison, I think it's the, the bluesy nature of her, her voice the kind of downtrodden sound, world weary, if you will, where, you know, she just kind of sounds like, you know, she's <laughs> really going through. And I mean, that that's the thing I think where, where Billie Holiday comes in. Cause she definitely had that too. Um, you know, just a, a very sad melancholy sort of style. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like you said, just one of those voices where you, you, you're either going to really kind of get, get into it or maybe not. Yeah. Um, I, I, the, another person I thought of was Ricky Lee Jones. She, she definitely kind of has one of those voices that people, they either really love or hate. Um, definitely has a, a decent following. I bet she did too. Karen Dalton, you know, like, like, like yeah. Ricky Lee Jones. I mean, she has some people that they'll, they'll listen to anything she does, you know, and she's, she's definitely, you know, on that same sort of level, you know, yeah. of, of, of blues type folk singers, you know, mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. One of the interesting things that I read and couldn't really find out is that she only released two albums. She released this one in 1969, and then she released a follow-up album in two years later in '71, and then she never released anything again. Yeah, and yeah, that, that hurts too. Yeah, you know, sure. I couldn't, I couldn't really find a reason why she she passed away in 1995. Um, but I couldn't really find a reason why she left the music world. And, you know, a couple of times I saw that it was sort of inferred that, well, she didn't continue because she couldn't sustain the career because she didn't write her own music. But I mean, yeah. that doesn't seem like a really a valid reason. There are plenty of singers out there. They've had long careers who don't write their own music. Well, you though, know? also the the main thing is, I mean, it's all about the money. I mean, if you're writing songs and you make one that's really like a popular song, then the money comes. I mean, big time. Because performing, and I mean, you know, before we were talking about the the Coen Brothers movie, uh, Llewellyn Davis, he he went through the same thing in this film where. You know, if if you don't write songs, you know, 
and then eventually the gigs start to dry up. There's just no money, you know, and that's what a lot of folk singers, I'm, I guess, kind of ran into where if they didn't get that one big hit that maybe got radio play or other people would pick up on it and do that song, then there was just really no way to survive. I mean, it was right. it was tough to survive. I mean, you could do it, but it was a miserable type of survival. And I, yeah. I imagine that's one of the things that probably pushed her out is is not writing her own songs and then eventually you know, you know, just trying to get gigs was tough, you know, especially yeah. when you're a singer that's not your typical type of singer, the way her voice was and the way her style was, even though it was it was cool and, and really interesting in retrospect. I mean, it was just at the time, maybe just not her time, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, so the first track we're going to hear is Ribbon Bow. And uh, this features Dalton uh, singing and playing her 12-string. I guess she she would either sing and play a 12-string guitar or this really long-neck banjo. <clears throat> and uh, so this is her playing her 12-string guitar. Uh, it fe- it's just it's really pared down. I mean, it's almost like something you would go here in a in a coffee house or something in Greenwich Village. I mean, there's just a bass her playing her guitar and then a, a second guitarist kind of playing six string acoustic guitar, but kind of noodling around the harmonies, you know, just on this 12 string. One thing that I um that struck me is, uh, you know, I'm not sure their philosophy and recording or if they just like just sat down and did it in one take or something. But um, I think it's interesting that, if you really listen to, especially with headphones, you listen to the second guitar part, that six string guitar that's sort of noodling around. I mean, there's all kinds of wrong notes going on. You know? <laughs> and in most, you know, if you're going to release an album in like a studio situation, you know, most people would want to fix that. You know what I mean? But it's just left just, you know, as it was. And um, I just thought, Hmm, does that's kind of interesting. I mean, on the one hand, like for me, it gives it almost like an amateurish sound. I, I hate to like be negative, but um, that just kind of one thing that popped in my brain. I was just kind of like, hmm, okay, you know, just like dudes just kind of noodling around, hitting wrong notes. All right. But then there's another side that's like, well, they're just trying to keep it like a, I guess, they're just trying to keep it like a pure, unadulterated performance. Maybe. Keeping it, keeping it real. Keeping it real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you think of this one? Um, I, I, I like her voice. First of all, it, it is different, and I also like her style of playing. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like she, she's very relaxed, and very casual about the way she's playing. Like you said, I mean, sometimes you hear mistakes, and you know, you know I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's her or, you know somebody else sitting on but it's just like people in their living room at home you yes. know that that are playing for themselves and you know that that's another issue with her i think is that she seems like somebody who really wasn't that much into the business if you would more to the point of just kind of playing just for the appreciation of you know liking music for herself you know and and not really you know caring if if people liked it great if not you know 
that's fine too. You know, I mean that that's the impression I get when I listen to this and when I look at her as a, as a whole. You know, I mean, I mean she doesn't seem like she was anxious to be a superstar, if you would. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh, I think you're definitely right. Um, let's listen to this. All right, cool. All right, man. This is uh, Ribbon Bow from Karen Dalton. just heard Karen Dalton ribbon bow and we're going to move on to the track called in the evening it's hard to tell who's going to love you the best this would sort of be the title track I guess <clears throat> and uh, I, I, I like this track a little bit better than ribbon bow um, the, the the second kind of noodly guitar is absent here which in in just in my opinion I thought was a good thing <laughs> um, the bit the bass is still here you know I, I would have been totally fine with just hearing her voice and her guitar, you know, with nothing else. Um, but, uh, you know, the bass is fine. I think in this one, uh, we get to hear what her voice can do a little bit more than the other one. I think it sh- this one shows off her vocal range a little bit better um, agree. than the previous one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, like you said, the... the 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 sound of her, her voice and the in the Billie Holiday comparisons come again you know where you know it's it's almost like she you know when I when I think about Billie Holiday singing it's it's almost like she sang out of the side of her mouth uh, if that kind of makes sense mm-hmm. um, and and the and the way you know her voice came out it was definitely bluesy and I hear that here you know where you know it's 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 melodic but it's sad and 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 kind of like you know just like she's just really really tired you know of of whatever whatever's going on in her life and it it comes through in in that vocal i mean you know i i i like her voice i mean it's 
it's not like your your typical singer at all. I mean, some because there's there's so much to folk music where you you don't have one type of folk music that just you know defines everybody's sound. You know, and um, you know you have some that's really peppy and and really upbeat. You have some that's kind of protest like, and then you have some that's really bluesy and sad and dark and you know, I think she's kind of in the middle of the last two, you know. Um, I mean, she's, she's it's def- definitely doesn't really sound like protest folk music, but but it's definitely not, you know, peppy. Uh, I would I would say it's no. more <laughs> more more dark at times and, 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 and melancholy. So, yeah, pe- peppy, um, peppy is not a word I would use. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not at all. Um, yeah, man, I, I just I get the sense that um, I. I I kind of wish I could have seen her like in her element, which would have been I totally agree. Yeah. With which you. should have been live. <laughs> yeah. With, with her guitar and her voice. I'm not sure that, uh, maybe this is part of why, you know, she didn't break out to a larger audience. Cause I'm not sure what she was able to do in front of an audience. And maybe that magic that she created live for her, I don't think maybe necessarily translated very well to recording. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, some people, they, okay, like another person, you know, kind of folky and bluesy that has an unusual voice, Leon Redbone. I um, love Leon Redbone. <laughs> that guy, years ago, Leon Redbone was on Saturday Night Live way back in the day. And as he sang, you know, there were people in the audience, obviously, that was really, you know, they were really into it, but you could also hear some people snickering where they were kind of like, you know, is this for real? Cause see, he, he definitely has a certain persona when he's live, you know, and yeah. that, that you either kind of get it or you don't, you know? And, um, I think maybe this lady had a little bit of that as well. That's why when you said, I wish I could have seen her live, I, that, that came back to my mind, you know, with performers like, her and maybe like like I said Leon Redbone, Randy Newman, he's another one who's you know really peculiar in some ways when he sings. You know, and some people either they they really love the guy or they really hate his guts. I mean, you know, just some performers just kind of have that aura, you know, if you would of of when they come on stage, you know, they they have this thing that's just way different from everybody else where they yeah. they they have a really great guitar style and an unusual vocal and I I I, I kind of looked for some footage of her playing live. I really couldn't find it, but I think if if we saw that, you know, I, I'd definitely post it. You know, maybe yeah. it would kind of give us a better, you know, vision of of her on stage and, and yeah. what it was yeah. like. So, yeah, you know, my uh, my parents had this story where they went and saw Leon Redbone back in the seventies, oh, really, um, at Miller Outdoor Theater. Oh, in Houston. Wow. And he said that, you know, not a lot of people knew who Leon Redbone was. And he said this one song he's sitting there playing. He's just sitting in this chair playing the song, playing guitar, whatever. And the audience is like a lot of people in the audience are kind of like, what is this? And then Leon <laughs> just stops dead, like right in the middle of the song, reaches down under his chair, pulls out this Polaroid camera, takes a picture of the audience and it just puts it back down and just keeps playing. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> that, and I, I totally believe he would do something yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that 
That's funny. <laughs> so um, let's uh, let's check out this last track from Karen Dalton. This is In the Evening, It's Hard to Tell Who's Going to Love You the Best. <laughs> We just heard in the evening it's so hard to tell who's going to love you the best by karen dalton and we're going to move on to our second album for this week d'angelo brown sugar released in 1995 and uh this was an album that um that uh i just heard for the first time so really wow yeah so this was like um uh totally off my radar at the time and i just never you know, I, I never heard it. Um, and man, I, it's great. <laughs> I, it I, I love this album. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I did, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and from researching it and stuff, you know, which I'm sure you can talk a lot about this, but it was part of this, um, uh, Neo soul movement that was going on in the nineties. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's a fantastic album. I, I love it. Uh, yeah, what do you think of this? I mean, did, I, did you hear this when it first came out? Yeah, I, I was working at a uh, a major record store retailer here in Houston that I will not name, but <laughs> it was like a this particular store, by the way, was almost like a mecca for black music. Um, was this when and, you were with SW 
I'll just say that. It was. Okay. Yes, it all was. Right, right, right. And I mean, what happened, the album actually came out before I got there. But, you know, in the in the album going, you know, full blown, you know, like, you know, sensation, I was there. And I mean, I would say that that D'Angelo's record, his, his first record was the very first record in that series of so-called neo soul groups or artists to really come out and kind of make a statement. Um, I think there were a lot of soul artists and, and soul you know, groups that were making music, but nothing really quite like this, where you kind of had a guy who was a was a really good singer and an unusual voice again, but who also had a good mind for playing music, even though he may not have been, you know, classically trained, if you will, or went to school to learn notes and whatnot. D'Angelo could kind of play stuff off his head, you know, from piano and organ. And, um, you know, a, a pretty decent songwriter and also had along with him uh, at the time, uh, Angie Stone, who, you know, some people know Angie Stone as a solo artist or Vertical Hold or when she was a, you know, a singer back in the day. I think she was she had this group she was with on Sugar Hill Records. Uh, I think they were called Source. I can't remember the name of the group. Anyway, they they were like together. They like had a child together and uh, made some really, really good music songs that they wrote together on this album and his second album. Um, but I think that this record was definitely a, a huge turning point for, for black music, you know, period. Because like I said, D'Angelo kind of had a mindset. He, he loved old school music, gospel, jazz, soul, but he had a mindset that was still kind of in the now, you know, where he could make it sort of updated and still use elements of, you know, like the old style of, of making music, you know, live drums, you know, a, a, a Fender Rhodes or a Wurlitzer piano, electric organ, if you would, um, real musicians, you know, not a, a keyboard, you know, with all kinds of synthesized whatever. I mean that that was really killing soul music. That element of music, the the sort of digital side of it. He, I think, D'Angelo kind of went back to the analog side of it, if you will, and yeah, and helped you know bring that sort of Al Green and you know the Gamble and Huff sound. I mean that that mindset of soul music. I think it was with D'Angelo big time on this record, mm -hmm. you know. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I agree with you. This is this is an amazing record. <laughs> yeah, I own yeah. it. I've, I've owned it for years. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're exactly right. I mean, it, it, it was something of that moment, but man, the, just the, the craftsmanship, the soul, the, um, the musicianship that went into yeah. it is, is just top notch. I mean, like yeah. all the way, um, yeah, I mean, there's just something. There's really something here for anybody, especially um, musicians. You know, if a musician uh, listened to this album, is there's like something here for like any musician, you know, to appreciate. Yeah, and that's that's one thing that I was just um, just super impressed with this album. Yeah, yeah, that that's cool that you you never listened to it. I, that. That that fascinates me. I mean, not that you've never listened to it like up until now, but just the fact that 
your opinion of it, you know, fresh like today or even like even a week ago, you know, it, it still is is kind of resonating. Uh, that that's really cool. I mean, like I said, it's I agree with you. It's 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 such a good record in a yeah. sense to where you can hear the playing, you can hear the soul, you can hear the feeling put into the music, especially when the, when the guy sings. I mean, when I hear D'Angelo, I hear Prince. I hear Curtis Mayfield. Oh yeah, I hear so much, and I mean, you and that guy has been influenced by the old soul and the new soul, and and that's what I love about him. I mean, like I said, he was he was sort of like a forerunner to like Maxwell and Erica Badu, and you know even uh you know Michelle and Cello had an album that came out even before his, but he helped a lot of artists, you know who normally wouldn't get radio play when Brown Sugar came out. Literally that song, I mean, we're not going to talk about that song, but that song was one of the major first sort of new soul or neo soul songs to come out and hit big on the radio. I mean, really big where I was like, holy cow, you know, they're playing D'Angelo. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I was like, when I, first, when I first heard that song and that album came out, and the subject matter of the song too, it's kind of like Rick James's Mary Jane, where it's it's a girl, but it's not, you know. If if some people will get it, um, I was like, they're not gonna play this song. And when they did, and not only played it, but had it in rotation, you know, like it's a staple now. I was like, this is a turn, you know. It's yeah, it's yeah. a huge turn. I mean, you know, there's, I really can't harp on that enough. Where artists like D'Angelo were not getting radio play, especially on black radio. I mean, you know, let alone crossover, they weren't. I mean, he was just too unusual. He didn't fit a certain mold. And I, and I, my thing is, who cares? I mean, the guy has talent. He has right. amazing talent. And I mean, you know, the guy went on Showtime the Apollo and won before he was like, <laughs> you know, even signed yeah, yeah. to anybody. That's a story, too. A lot of people kind of go back to that. Um, you know, certain people, they, you know, before they hit big, you know, they had to go through that, that, that hall. Sometimes they got booed all like Lauren Hill. She, she got booed, you know, but D'Angelo wow. did not, you know, he went on there and he had, a, he had a couple of groups he was with, you know, before he like broke off by himself. I posted on, you know, on our website or our Facebook page, I should say uh, a long interview that D'Angelo did. It's, it's pretty good. I mean, if you have the time, which, you know, most of the time, I know people don't, but it's it's a very long interview where he sits down, uh, I think, with Nelson George, and uh, it's he just goes into detail about his beginnings and and the ins and outs of music. It's it's pretty interesting. Hmm. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everybody should check that out. Well, let's go on to the first track. Um, it is explicit. <laughs> so oh, yeah. if you're offended oh, yeah. by language. Um, fast forward or something but you know we're always going to play the tracks in their original form um not in censored form so yeah this track is shit damn motherfucker yeah and and the subject matter of the song kind of explains the title <laughs> you know that's one thing that i was because when i listened to it the first couple times you know i'm listening to the music and i'm listening to his voice and how he's singing but it wasn't until like the second and third time that I really started to listen to the words. It's it's funny because the delivery is so smooth. Like this is such a smooth yes. song <laughs> that you kind of 
I don't know, oh. man. The words you kind of, they don't doesn't, they don't register. Yeah, yeah, but the words are like something out of, out of like something off of the chronic or something. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it, yeah, it's an, the idea that okay, you you come home, and the the person you 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 call your you know significant other is in bed with somebody else, kind of you know may make you a little upset so (laughs) and i mean the way like you said the way he delivers that emotion in this song you know it's 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 almost like after the fact but it's it is very smooth you know and like i said it's 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 it it, he's not in a happy place let's let's just put it that way (laughs) yeah 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 i mean uh yeah i i don't think i've ever heard these type of words sung this smoothly before. But. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it. <laughs> yeah, let's, um, let's check this out. All right. Cool. Uh, shit. Damn motherfucker from D'Angelo.
And we just heard shit damn motherfucker. And we're going to move on to me and those dreaming eyes of mine. Um, this one you can really hear is gospel upbringing. Yeah. In this one. Yeah. Um, and, uh, one thing I just musically that I, I really liked a lot was about three quarters of the way through. There's this kind of like jazz guitar solo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, which you can really hear this this jazz guitar player throughout. I mean, it's just it was a really nice touch. I was like, wow, you know, I don't know. I just it it wasn't something I was expecting to hear. Yeah, you know, um, well, but it just goes back to the musicianship and the the musical choices that are made on this album. Yeah, agreed, agreed. He he is a person who has you can tell has listened to a variety of musics you know, you know, most of his life, you know, and his parents, you know, they, I'm pretty sure were a big part of that where, you know, he grew up listening to what they listened to, which was gospel, blues, jazz, soul, you know, sometimes rock and roll, sometimes probably folk. And I mean, just, he just absorbed and processed it in a way that when it came out to him playing, you know, all that comes over and, the, the the great thing about this first record, like I said, is not only the the playing, but the songwriting on this record is just very very good, and um, you know they, D'Angelo and Angie Stone, you know they they made such a great pairing, um, for for songwriters. I mean they they really don't work together anymore, you know, but they when they were together they were really tough. I mean, and and D'Angelo's kind of going through a period now where he. You know he's he's gonna put out some new music apparently, but he went through a period where he seemed like he wasn't gonna do anything, um, and I, I'm just really glad for artists like him that kind of look at music in a different way, and when they when they put something out, you're you're excited just to like okay man this this is D'Angelo I I can't wait I mean because because certain artists you know they're like that I mean they you know I almost don't care okay like Prince is another guy even though Prince has been, you know, not really the Prince of like the eighties and the nineties, whenever he puts out something, I'm always curious because he's, he's just such an artist, you know, that, you know, you know, the potential is there for something really great. And I feel that with D'Angelo, you know, and I hear that on this record, you know, it was such a great record with, with songs like Brown Sugar, with songs like Lady, that was a huge, huge turn also too, where it was a song that kind of had an unusual beat to it. And, um, you know, but very soulful and very smooth and, um, and and had a swagger to it. That's another thing about D'Angelo that I love. He has this swagger like nobody else. <laughs> I mean, the guy, I mean, when I, I saw him here in Houston, I've seen him, seen him twice, um, I think twice, maybe three times. But I saw him here at Rockefeller's when Rockefeller's was still in Washington. Uh, I mean, if you've ever been in that club, it's. It's not yeah. real big, you know. Yeah. The seats made about made about five hundred people, and I mean, it was it's such an intimate set, setting. And I mean, when the guy came out, I mean, he just kind of walked on stage, you know, like he owned the place, <laughs> and and nobody really knew quite what to expect. But then he sat down at that piano, and he starts playing, and you recognize the notes, but it's not one of his songs. He's playing like an Ohio player song uh, called "Sweet Sticky Thing." And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, 
And and that's the one thing about the guy I love. He 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 loves music, especially soul music. And I mean, he'll he'll surprise you where he'll bring something like that and make it work and make it sound good, and then go into his own stuff. I mean, the whole place was was on their feet, you know, throughout that show. I mean, it was a great show. And I mean, he's he's such a talent. I, I hope that he, as long as he's able and he, as long as he wants to, he'll keep making music. You know. Yeah. So. Well, should we mention that like his last album came out in two thousand? Right. Yeah, it's 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 been a while. So it's been like, fourteen since, years, and like yeah, I what I read there's like all these you know there's been all these, uh, I don't know like false starts and people that are yeah. working with him saying like uh, there was a quote from two or three years ago from Questlove saying the album is ninety nine percent done. We're just you yeah. know, and it's you know two or three years later it's still not out yeah so yeah. i i'm wondering what you know what's going on there i um, I, I know that he, he's definitely he's had some issues i mean definitely issues in his life i mean i i don't want to go into on the show but just you know he he's one of those guys that i i know he doesn't want to just put out a record and it be just not not good you know if, you know what i'm saying i mean i don't want to say the guy's a perfectionist but i'm sure he he listens to his own stuff and he's probably one of his own worst critics, you yeah. know, when it comes to putting out music. And I mean, it, if, if the, if the album is good, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to wait. I mean, okay. Like Sade, for instance, I mean, I'll, I'll look at her. She's on a pace now where she only puts out a record about every 10 years, but when it comes out, it's awesome. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then she goes away you know, goes back to Jamaica or, or England or wherever and just chills out for another 10 years. And then the band, you know, about seven, eight years in, they get back together, they rehearse, they get the, the record made, they tour real hard, and then they go away, you know. And I, I can live with that. I mean, if an artist, you know, if they 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 kind of, and I, I get this too from D'Angelo too, as much as he likes making music, I do not think he enjoys per se the the spotlight, you know, so to speak. I mean, I'm sure he likes it to a certain extent, but he seems like one of those guys, he wants to still be able to kind of walk down the street without having to be chased and, and all that kind of stuff. And I know it's it's part of the business, you know, but okay, like when D'Angelo put out, I mean, you may, you may or may not have seen this video. He has a song called Untitled that he did with Raphael Sadiq from Tony, Tony, Tony. And it was it was really like a major hit for him and the video was controversial because basically he's naked in the video i mean like literally no clothes on and there's a part of the video where you almost kind of see for lack of a better way of saying it his junk and <laughs> at the time the guy was like really really fit and it, it causes huge uproar because women went bananas oh, a lot of women not all but <clears throat> That was a thing that I'm sure that it, it turned his career kind of upside down because he couldn't go anywhere without that phenomena sort of, you know, rearing its ugly head. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I mean, like I said, you know, that I'm pretty sure that that part of the business he's it may have worn on him a little bit. Um, the whole, you know, the sex symbol, like you know, oh God, I here I am, I'm a sex symbol. I mean, you know, it sounds funny, but I like I said, I'm sure that after a while that it, it got stupid, you know, and that I think that's part of 
the issue too where people weren't looking at his music but they were looking at that other side of his persona and it, it was like you know no you know i mean that's great i mean i'm 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 with it, but there's there's more to me than just that. And I, I mean, I'm I'm just kind of looking at it from the outside. But you know, he seems like one of those guys that you know that that's cool, but don't let it be the only thing that people look at. Yeah. yeah. And uh, anyway, you know, the, the the guy is so so very talented. Like I said, I hope he keeps going and keeps making music. You know, for for instance, like the. The song on this album, uh, "Cruising," that's like an old Smokey Robinson song. I remember when I first heard that. I mean, he he does such a great interpretation of it, where he doesn't stray away too much from the original, but still gives it a new twist. And and that's that's really what good music is. I mean, you don't want to copy the original and make it sound just like that, but if you can give it, you know, your thumbprint. And it's still slick. And then maybe even like the original artist goes, hey, you know what? I like that. That's cool. You know, because I'm sure Smokey probably heard and was like, yeah, I dig that. That that sounds good. I mean, that that to me is the the epitome of a great artist. You know, somebody who can sort of, you know, refuel something even that, you know, didn't even need to be refueled. Cruising was a great song on its own, but the D'Angelo version it's like he he sort of made it his, you know, and it, and it's yeah. good too, you know. So yeah, yeah, awesome, man. Well, let's check out this last track from D'Angelo. This is "Me in Those Dreaming Eyes of Mine." If you only knew how many times yeah. I think of you, I'm quite sure that you will find.
And we just heard Me and Those Dreaming Eyes of Mine by D'Angelo. We're going to move on to our last album for today. It is Danger Mouse, the gray album released in 2004. Um, I say released with maybe quotes <laughs> around it. You know, never was really um, officially released. This is an album that yeah. he did with his friends. And um, I mean, legally, I don't think this could be released, really. No, no, it's it's like a bootleg or white label or <clears throat> right. however you want to look at it. I mean, you, you could go in some stores and buy this record. I I bought the record. I actually bought a CD, but it's, it's not from a, a record label that, I'm sure the 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 Beatles especially right. would approve of. <laughs> so. No, no, no. And I mean, so it's it's been distributed kind of underground. It's been you know distributed by you know free download over the internet and uh, yeah, in this kind of thing. But it really launched Danger Mouse's career, which has been uh, a pretty enormous career up until now. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely um, as a as an artist and as a producer. And uh, and and even acting, I the guys in movies where it's like that's Danger Mouse. <laughs> really? Know? What movies has he been in? Uh, there is a couple. Like um, he has some cameos. Like uh, there's this movie I, I'm trying to remember the name of. It's called Please Be Kind and Rewind. I think where he has a cameo in that movie where he works ironically at a blockbuster, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And and, and I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I I, I think that uh, I'm trying to remember. There's there was another movie I saw he was in, but I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I can't remember what it is. Um, anyway, the the guy is is just he is he's he's all over the place now. Like he he produced the last Nora Jones record. Um, he you know has Nars Barkley with with CeeLo, which you know was kind of a huge deal there, and uh, a variety of of mix-ups and mash-ups kind of like this record um you know he he's he's kind of a quirky dude and in, in the way he looks at making music uh you know he he does all kinds of weird stuff i mean with with live instruments and with turntables especially so yeah um and when this record came out a lot of people were just like you know man i i, I don't i don't even you know know what it sounds like but i can't wait to hear that that's the first thing when i heard you know he he took the white album and and Jay-Z's, you know, black album and kind of made a, a mix up of of all that. I mean, everything that you hear basically as far as the tracks is it literally is all like the white album in, in some shape or form. And I was like, How is he gonna do that? You know, but he did. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's important to to realize, you know, that it's not just like where somebody creates a mashup where they start this song and then they start this song and they're both sort of playing at the same time. I mean, he, you know, he took the Jay-Z, like the raw vocal tracks, right, from the Jay-Z's Black Album. And then um, he takes bits and pieces, you know, from these songs off of the Beatles' White Album and then rearranges them and uh, reorchestrates them to create a different, backing track for these vocals and creates this whole different thing yeah you know and it's done in a really just masterful way um so yeah so the the first track that we're going to hear is what more can i say and these titles these are these are like jay-z's titles right 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these are the titles from the Jay-Z album. But so he takes the vocals from What More Can I Say of Jay-Z. And then in this particular track, he takes music from uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps is the song that he takes the the music from. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, man. It's just really cool. I mean, especially how he kind of juxtaposes the there's like a vocal harmony going on in the jay-z song and uh well how he sort of juxtaposes that harmony with the original harmony going on in the beatles song and it just creates this whole new thing um yeah what did you think of this yeah i I agree i mean it's 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 just a an idea of sitting down and and taking what you already know about each song individually and putting it in your brain and and sort of you know lining it up you know with the proper equipment and and making something you know almost brand new that's that's not really new at all um and i mean he's he's one of those guys that that has gotten that down almost to a science obviously where you know, he like you said he he takes that song you know while my guitar gently weaves and and lays jay-z stuff on it almost as if you know they're they're made for each other you mm-hmm. know when they originally were not you know right and um the the late jay dilla or, or jd who you know was a great hip-hop producer and beat maker you know, who actually he worked with D'Angelo as well and, and Questlove, you know, we just kind of talked about them. He's somebody who was just really notorious for, for doing that. He could take, you know, really old school tracks from artists and and put it together with new school stuff and just make it work. I mean, and he, he's just one of those guys. I mean, you can tell that 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 Danger Mouse has listened to tons of music, probably has tons of music that he owns. And and to be able to kind of go through that whole catalog, and and work out new stuff is, it's a gift really. I mean, not everybody can do it. I mean, I, I talked about JD, DJ Shadow. That's another guy who, who's really good at that at, at making you know, new stuff out of old stuff, if you will, uh, and and mixing up songs and, um, Cut Chemist is another DJ that. I mean, he's, he's, it's just insane. Some of these guys, what they come up with, where they, you know, they hear a beat and then a track that that are two two totally type types of music that are that are completely away from each other. You know, they, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, like they could take like like David Bowie and then like Tchaikovsky and then like Mac Davis or Roy <laughs> Clark or somebody and then make a song. Yeah. from those artists yeah. where it seems like they, they were supposed to be together like it works and you're like where the hell did he come up with this <laughs> you know yeah. so and I, and that's there's so much of that in this I mean obviously you know the, the White Album is one of those albums that people have listened to time and time again and then Jay-Z being who he is it was it was just a really cool mix up or a perfect storm if you would have of that blend that I mean I never would have thought to do something like that you know yeah and it kind of inspired a whole bunch of mix-ups and mashups if you will from that so yeah well yeah I mean like you said just just the idea just having the idea the initial idea to to do this is I mean it's it's out there you know just just to even come up with the idea 
And um, I wanted to mention like one of the techniques he used, well, aside from just, you know, cutting up and rearranging the uh, the Beatles tune, um, I did listen. I went back and listened to the original uh, track of When My Guitar Gently Weeps, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And um, the tempo is faster in the original one. It's in the <clears throat> same key. So it's, it's weird how like these two songs, the, the keys worked. You know, he just kept them in the same key and they just worked. They happened to work. But the tempo of the original was faster. So what he did, had to do is slow down the tempo exactly. of the Beatles tune without changing the pitch, the original pitch, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, as you know, if you've played a record or anything like that and you slow the record down, the pitch goes down too, you know? And you, and you notice and, that too, especially if you, if you know the song and you like the song. You know that I, I I notice pitch before I notice anything. I'm like, yeah. Oh, hey, wait a minute, that ain't right. You know, right? But it, like you said, the pitch does not change at all. But the Oop. the cadence of the song is definitely different. You know, if you would, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's one technique that DJs use is called I think it's called time stretching, um, where they can actually mess with the tempo. They can slow the tempo down or speed it up. But through digital means, they can maintain the same pitch, the, the yeah, original that, pitch. That, that's and, one of those things in, in yeah. house music that, that people always do, where you, right. you have a song that's slower, and then the house music version is way faster. Right, you know? right. Um, but anyway, yeah, let's listen to this one. Uh, the first track from Danger Mouse, this is What More Can I Say? Never been a nigga this good for this long, this hood, for this pop, this hot, for this strong With so many different flows, this one's for this song The next one I switch up, this one will get bit up These bucks too lazy to make up shit, they crazy, they don't paint pictures, they just trace me You know what? Soon they forget where they pluck They hold staff and they try to reverse the outcome I'm like, tough, I'm not a writer, I'm a writer for myself and others I say a big verse, I'm only big enough my brother Big enough my barrel, I'm big enough to do it I'm that barrel, plus I know my own flow is so the rings and things you sing about, bring them out It's hard to yell when the barrel's in your mouth I'm in new sneakers, dual seaters, few divas What more can I tell you? Let me spell it for you W-I-L-L-I-E Nobody truer than H-O-V And I'm back for more New York's ambassador Prime Minister, I'm back to finish my business up Make my sight 
just heard what more can i say by danger mouse and we're gonna move on to 99 problems and this one uh again the track is taken from the jay-z song 99 problems and then for the backing music he uses uh helter skelter um and here he actually sped up helter skelter so before he in the previous one he slowed down uh while my guitar gently weeps in this one he actually speeds up the music from helter skelter um just slightly it's not not much but just slightly uh it's in the same key which i i I don't know i think that was just weird how that worked out um yeah i don't what what do you think of this well the the original 99 problems has a kind of kind of raging guitar track in the background so i I guess it wasn't too far-fetched to lay helter skelter on top of even though it's not really the same at all um yeah, it's it's cool, dude. It's this whole album is cool. <laughs> I mean, when when I first started listening to it, you know, it just it it blew me away. I mean, the fact that you know he was able to kind of come up with like, new versions of of both tracks, you know, in in a weird way, and it makes you go back and kind of look at both albums separately, even you know, and and look at different yeah. ways that you know the songs were kind of put together. I mean, I think that's the fun part of all of this is that it, it, it gives you a, a new respect for both records in the sense of how they came together when in, in the initial making, they, they were not really meant to go together at all, you know? And, uh, and like I said, this album inspired a ton of mixed up, mashed up records, you know, for generations that spanned, you know, years which I, I love that kind of stuff i mean I, there's so much music that i love old and new and um you know jay-z is one of those rappers that i, I like but i he's not i'm like a huge fan of his but it it gave me a new respect even for him you know where i kind of listen to the tracks differently where you know the the you you kind of focus differently on the vocal in a way you know where the track is laid down on a whole different song if you would and um you know, I, I I know that he probably, when he first heard it, I'm sure it just, it probably blew him away where he wasn't expecting it to be the way it was, you know. And I mean, I I really haven't heard him say much about this record because obviously it's one of those records that kind of came out where, you know, he wasn't really involved in it, if you would. You know, it was it was more like, you know, something that just came out. He's probably like, what the hell is this, you know? <laughs> so... I mean, it's 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 just cool. It's one of the coolest, I guess, if you would, underground or or bootleg records that I've I've ever listened to. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And really, one of the best examples I've heard of this this mashing up thing. You know, yeah. that, that DJs. That's you know, it's uh, 
part of the bread and butter of being like a DJ these days. The thing is, is you know, your ability to, to mash things up like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's hear the last track from Danger Mouse. This is 99 Problems. If you having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I, I got, got 99, 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. I got the rap patrol on the cat patrol. Foes that want to make sure my cask is closed. Rap critics to say he's money cash holes. I'm from the hood, stupid. What type of facts are those? If you grew up with hoes in your zap for toes, you celebrate the minute you was having dope. I'm like, fuck critics, you can kiss my whole asshole. If you don't like my lyrics, you can press fast forward. I beef with radio if I don't play they show. They don't play my hits, well, I don't give a shit. So, rap mags try and use my black ass. So, advertise to give them more cash for ads. Fuckers, I don't know what you take me as. So, understand the intelligence that Jay Z has. I'm from rags, the richest niggas, I ain't dumb. I got 99 bottles for the bitch. heard 99 problems from danger mouse and that's going to do it for 1000 recordings podcast 52 if you'd like to send us an email please send it to 1000 recordings podcast at gmail.com you can join us on twitter at twitter.com slash 1000 rp you can join us on facebook and you can leave us a review on itunes and that will really help us get out to more listeners and we will read your review on the air if you decide to to leave a review um am i forgetting anything no that sounds sounds about good right. so <laughs> uh yeah uh join us on facebook and next week or next time i, I can't even say next week this next yeah, this, next time <laughs> we have some weird schedules <laughs> yeah next time we've got uh bobby darren um an old kind of uh, crooner, I believe, sort of Sinatra-esque crooner. Yeah, um, I think Mac the Knife. Didn't he do? The, didn't he do Mac the Knife? Uh, I don't know. We'll find out. I think. <laughs> I think. I think he did. I think that was you know that he was one of the the famous versions of Mac the Knife. The most famous, I think, is Bobby Darren. You know. Okay. I think. Then um, we have the Reverend Gar- Gary Davis, a blues artist, and which I'm not familiar with. Yeah, that's new to me too. And then we start our (laughs) 
extensive coverage of Miles Davis. All right. Um, cool. Yeah. So there's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five albums in here of uh, wow. of Miles Davis. So um, the podcast after the next one is going to be an all Miles Davis show. Yeah, so, that's, that's going to be fun. The biopic yeah. coming out too with Don Cheadle. So. Yep. Yep. It's all Miles Davis. Yep. So, um, yeah, we'll look forward to that. Um, you have anything else to impart before we depart? Uh, oh, you know, there was something I was thinking about. I cannot remember what it was. Maybe it wasn't that important. I think it was somebody, somebody passing away that I was gonna bring up. But I, like I said, I can't remember who it was. Um, who's died recently? Um, I mean, Joan Rivers passed away, but the, in the we wouldn't music talk world, about her. Um, yeah, I it was somebody music-wise. I cannot remember who it was, that, but anyway, if it, if it comes to mind, I'll 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 come back next week or I'll post it on our Facebook page. Okay. But anyway. Awesome. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we'll see everybody next time. Later. All right. Bye-bye.